0: Hey, I'm Robert Pearson, and this is Follow the Leader, where we sit down and talk a Bible thing, and hopefully become better men, fathers and husbands, through our study of scriptures, following Jesus, all the good stuff. We are in Genesis chapter 8 today, verses 20 to 22. And I'm going to jump right into it. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So, quick recap. This is after the flood. All the floodwaters have subsided. And then this is the first thing that uh, that Noah does. And then it goes on, um, starting in chapter 9, where God blessed Noah and said, be fruitful and multiply and kind of reestablishes some of the the uh, the commandments and things that were given in the Garden of Eden. He kind of, reestablishes that you've got authority over all the animals and that kind of stuff. So, what do you notice? Obviously, the whole point of this study is to learn about men and what the Bible says about a what being a godly man is. And Here we go. We've got God Himself saying, "The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth." That's uh, that's pretty big. That's uh, kind of the the main thing to notice here. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that the uh, the sacrifice that Noah made. It's always important when you're giving up something for God. It needs to be your very best and nicest. Noah chose one of every clean animal and of every bird, every clean bird. So he's got all of the clean, the very best, the nicest, that are set aside. So you always give your best for God because it's more of your content of your heart and your repentance rather than the stuff you offer. And we have the assurance that Global warming isn't going to cause the death of all people. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. I got a promise from God that the planet's going to stick around. So, that's pretty cool. Um, You know, maybe some coastlines or something will change, but... It's not going to make the planet uninhabitable, except as, you know, God's judgment coming back when he floods the earth in fire. At the end of all things, that's, you know, of course, the very biblical global warming. So, let's let's tackle it. What can we learn about ourselves from this? And I have to say, just straightforward, I do not believe in original sin as a theological idea that says all humans are born guilty before God from birth, and all humans are made from birth in such a way that they have this massive proclivity to do evil all of the time. No Jewish theology has ever taught that. And they had the Old Testament a lot longer than uh, we, before we got to it, for a long time before we got to it. And they're looking at the same verses and they don't, they never got that out of any of the... David's and uh, Psalms and stuff, all the verses of in sin I was iniquity I was conceived and that kind of stuff. They never understand those verses to mean that all humans are born guilty before God. Was not a concept for them, and the word here for youth, man's heart is evil from his youth. That same word, it's it's like our word for youth, uh, because you have in Ecclesiastes, enjoy the wife of your youth. Same word, so. You have a wife when you're born? No, youth can mean... Oh, right, culturally they weren't married till like 30. So youth could be as old as 30. So man's heart is evil from his youth. It's an ambiguous word. It doesn't mean from when he's born. It does not necessitate that, but... Come on now, we've all known some teenagers and some college students that... They're less than smart. I've been a teenager and a college student, and I can tell you they're idiots. Uh, and self-indulgent. And if allowed to just go their own way with no instruction, yeah, you wind up with some self-indulgent and some terrible people. And some humans on this earth, still today, are capable of terrible, nightmarish things. That does not mean every single human being born is immediately guilty before God and immediately corrupt, that doesn't, I'm going to continue on this rant just for a second to, to explain my perspective and how this actually, I understand this verse to relate, because the word there for youth is not a baby child or an infant, it's youth, like a young man, a young adult, um, we're talking college age at the youngest, probably, um, probably anywhere from late teens to early early 30s, is covered by this word, youth. So, I don't know, maybe you can find original sin in your Bible, but you're not going to find it here, in this verse. The reason I don't think original sin is correct as a doctrine is because in very plain language we have Jesus described as our high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, and he is our high priest before God. Because he knows our weaknesses and infirmities. And he's gone through the entire human experience of what it is to be a human on earth. Now, you only have two options. Either A, he doesn't know what it's like to have original sin because he was born without it. Or B, he was not a sinless perfect sacrifice for our sins because he was born with original guilt of Adam at which point the proper punishment for that is death and he can't redeem anyone. So if he's born without the original sin concept, then he can't be a perfect priest for us because he doesn't know our weaknesses because he's never lived a life under the oppression of original sin. It doesn't it doesn't fit. You can't have both. If you believe in original sin, either Jesus wasn't a perfect sacrifice for our sins, or he was born without it, to which point he cannot be our high priest of Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews. You can't have it both ways. So, um, well, we'll cover what I believe the, the flesh is when Paul's talking about it, but um, it's just very plainly, it's, it's flesh, it's your meat bag. Uh, you're hungry and you eat, you get grumpy because you're hungry or you want to instinctively react to problems in a negative way. Things things like that. Coming back to here, though, man's heart is evil from his youth. And it, it fits very much with that people are self-serving. They want what others have. It takes the fear of God and an honor of right structures. And now, as Christians, we have the aid of the Holy Spirit and Christ in our lives to to make make ourselves uh, walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. But man's heart is evil. What you want to do, the natural, the easy, the downhill path is going to be the one that's wrong. If someone cuts you off in traffic, you want to yell and cuss at them or run them off the road. Somebody slaps you in the face and you get in a shouting match and you want to just shout and slap them back and get in a big altercation and yell that's that's your instinctive reaction your natural reaction is going to do what's easy and the tit for tat that's the same thing animals do right if you hit an animal they're gonna try and bite you and they're gonna attack you back they're going to have a there's gonna be a backlash for that for your behavior it's gonna be um very animistic our goal as humans is to be above animals and to have our spirit, the part of us that is like God, ruling what our, our flesh does. It, gluttony is wrong, so eating, all eating is evil? No. Eating, constrained by right living, constrained by discipline and by spiritual principles of eating when you're hungry, not eating more than you need still means you can stuff yourself on Thanksgiving every once in a while and then bring it back into balance instead of just stuffing your face all day, every day, all the time, forever, anytime you you even almost want something with no guiding principle, but I'm hungry, I see, I take, I eat. Eating other people's food and just you see it and you want it. You reach out and take it. That's not good. And you indulged what your fleshly desires are. And the same thing goes for... uh, Intimate desires or wealth and money. Money is good. It's necessary for society to run. It's necessary to take care of your family and provide shelter. But when you allow your desire for money to be the sole driving motivation for actions, or you find yourself compromising other things because of your desire for money, that's when you start having problems. That's when it becomes immoral. You can't serve two gods. God and mammon, or money, the quoting Jesus from I forget where. So you have to be you have to be committed to God, and then you can use money wisely. Jesus has an entire parable about using money wisely. <coughs> and so it's it's important to understand that. Our hearts are evil from the perspective of your natural inclination, and your first instinct, a lot of the times is going to be the wrong one. And that's where, as a godly man, you need to strive to choose what's right. We have Noah as an example. God saw what he was doing, and got everybody on the planet it was like, Noah's doing it, right? Noah's not special. He's not magic. He doesn't have any extra thing that anybody else had. He just, I would assume, was raised well. And also continued to make personal choices that, you know, let's not murder and pillage today. That's going to make you a better person, not stealing and murdering. Which, uh, judging by the Stuff we see showing up in a couple of chapters here seem to be the the rule of the day for, like, Sodom and Gomorrah and places. Oh, I woke up this morning. I think I'll go murder somebody today. That's wrong. That's evil. Don't do that. <coughs> Excuse me. So, the most important takeaway is... That our natural inclination, our first instinct on most things is going to be the wrong one. The goal is over time to work on yourself, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, read your Bible, pray every day. I focus a lot on works and what we can do because everything, everything that God does has a dual component. God does stuff for us. We have to do stuff for ourselves. God put trees in the garden for Adam. Adam still had to go climb the tree and get the fruit out of it. It's a both. And even today, God gives us the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. He gives us His Word. You have to wake up in the morning and read His Word. You have to pray. You have to be the one to decide in the moment when you're tempted to do something to not do it, to not to, because you have that power. You have that ability to choose what's right and to do better. So do better. That's the takeaway for me. And how does this challenge me? How can we rise to it? I feel like those two are redundant at this point. It's, comf- it's comforting knowing that the Earth is going to continue to be here and we'll just suddenly get wiped out by a meteorite. Uh, sorry, guys. Planet X isn't happening. And uh, it's good to know that you need to give God your best when you sacrifice to him, and most importantly of all, you need to rule yourself. Because if you do whatever you want, it's going to be the wrong thing. You have to do what God wants. Uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The beginning of understanding. Starting by submitting yourself to God's authority, then you can move forward on doing what's right. And it's not going to be 100%, but day by day, work on it, get better, do better. There we go. That's all I have for you today. I will see you next time. God's feed.